0: Banks regularly publish property forecasts and the media certainly seems to appreciate the headlines that they create, yet we know, given the test of time, that they're really proven to be accurate, which begs the question, what process do they use to create these forecasts and why do they publish them? This is a conversation that we've been wanting to have for a long time. To gain an insight into how the big bank economists come up with their property market forecasts, what are the key imports, what are the triggers for revision, and what are the implications? Welcome to the elephant in the room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyers agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of
1: Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional.
0: Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. We're really honoured to be joined by Felicity Emmett, Senior Economist in the Australian Economics Team at ANZ. Felicity has more than 20 years experience as an economist in financial markets and is now responsible for the analysis and forecasting of key Australian macroeconomic indicators, as well as thematic research on the Australian economy. She also provides specialist analysis on topical issues, including the housing sector and the policy outlook. Thank you so much for joining us today, Felicity. Oh, Thanks very much for having me.
1: Well, City, thanks so much. I mean, I guess the banking system um, has lots of assets. And that's people's homes, investment properties, you know, business premises, et cetera. And we've got lots of liabilities as, as homeowners as well, mortgages that um, are also your assets. So why does the, the property market matter so much to the banks and and why do you produce research, um, you know, lots of it on, on forecasting where it's going to go? Hmm.
2: You yeah, know, this is a, a good question, good for for a bit of self-reflection as well. Um, So we produce it for a few reasons. One, as you say, is for the bank itself. The bank is heavily invested in housing through its mortgage portfolio. uh, And that is is a a very large asset for the bank. And uh, so our forecasts help to inform the bank on the risks around that, but also around the outlook uh, around that and whether whether price is going up or down and whether mortgage demand might be strong or or weak. Um, So it it is very important for the bank itself. But probably even more so is it's for our customers. And those customers might be just general uh, borrowers like a mum or a dad or whoever buying a a home, but also businesses who might be borrowing against their home or even larger businesses that might be investing in uh, real estate in in some form. So across the whole spectrum of um, bank customers from very large to very small, they're all uh, very interested in, in what's happening with housing. Also, I mean, housing, is it does everyone uh or or so many people everyone needs a home um, many people own their own home or they they want to become a home owner and um it's nearly always the largest share of people's wealth so there people are generally very interested to know um where their house prices might be going
1: i mean and what, what do you think some of the difficulties of, of- making it so hard to, to forecast. I mean, we've been watching, we did a report recently, a, a fuller forecaster report and we focused on the banks and, um, you know, and it's so hard to predict over short time frames, let alone the, the longer term. I and mean, why do you think it's so difficult to forecast where, where you know, housing is going to be over the next few years?
2: Mm. Well, it is pretty difficult to forecast housing prices. Um, asset prices are forecasting is difficult. Forecasting asset prices is more difficult. And also, I mean, my guess is when you look, did that that sort of study? Are you looking over the past? few years where we've had sort of extraordinarily, extraordinary volatility in the economy, in interest rates, in um, government spending. Uh, and so it has been very difficult and there have been lots of bad forecasts. <laughs> um, I think, too, you know, when you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, my guess is this is something that you covered at the beginning of the pandemic and we're entering into Uh, this incredibly unknown period and um, in those early days of the pandemic when unemployment was expected to go well past uh, 10% and stay there for a long time, massive hit to household incomes, you know, there was an expectation, and and our international borders closed, there was an expectation that house prices would fall um, quite sharply. But in the end, uh, for lots of reasons, uh, that that didn't eventuate. And so there were very large forecast errors there through the pandemic. But, um, you know, that really was to some degree a function of that incredibly volatile period.
0: It's actually really interesting that you um, bring that up because I think in a way we're sort of getting used to more volatility and more or less, less certainty generally and obviously you need an element of certainty and and not too much volatility if you're trying to to predict anything mm. we, we do actually the fuller Forecaster report we did start um them back in 2019 is the first one we did um and so we do them every year and it's been quite an interesting exercise the most recent one we did we looked at a couple of the banks i don't think it was actually ANZ. we did nab and westpac i think and we looked mainly back,
1: nab yeah we will
0: yep. look back 10 years actually which is quite interesting but i think that that sort of brings into um, focus for us, and this is where we're really interested, into really what's the process that you go through when you're formulating these? Because you, as a bank, you have access to incredible uh, um, yeah. amount of data and, and beyond what we would even be thinking to on a global sense as well. And then, of course, particularly with the pandemic, really what actually ended up happening, I think, is that human beings said, I don't like being locked up in this house. I want a bigger one. And I, honestly, I think that it just comes down to human behaviour is actually what what set um, the next, or well, the 2021 boom. And, and I don't think economists, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure if economists spend too much time thinking about how people are going to react Mm -hmm. on that sort of more individualistic um, level. So, can you run us through sort of in a general sense what that process is? What are the inputs into your forecasting uh, process for the housing market?
2: Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you make some really great points there. So, hopefully, we can come back to some of those ones about about you know your idea that people decided they wanted to a bigger home because that was really important. But when we um, think about our own forecasts, you know, just generally speaking, not in the pandemic, I mean, there are there are lots of of things that impact house prices. So um, we might have we don't adopt a formal model approach here at ANZ, but we certainly do think about um what some of the more formal modeling processes do generate but the things that are that go into those models and the things that we think about uh, you know things like interest rates, of course, um, and household incomes and employment are important. Think um, what's happening uh, with rents is important. Um, when we, what's happening with inflation at the moment and and generally is also important. And then then there's sort of a any sort of regulatory overlay, and that has been uh, something that's been significant over the past few years. And and then there's there's those odd bod things like you know people want a bigger home and that those sorts of things are are, are really very difficult to factor in yeah um but but we we so 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 we might look at what a, a formal model is producing so something like um, some of the RBA research that's been published over the past few years, we'd look at something like that. At the moment, it suggests for every hundred basis points or one percentage point increase in the variable mortgage rate, that would take about eight percent off um real home prices. Um so we would look at these sorts of things, but you know always with models, you know, models sort of look at things and go, well, all else equal, this Mm -hmm. is the impact of interest rates, say. Mm -hmm. But nearly always all else is not equal. So we have to sort of, you know, put all those other overlays in to, to try to, to think of um, all the fa- factors that might influence house prices.
1: Listen, I mean, if I, was, if I was the, you know, CEO of the bank and I wanted to know where my risks were with my assets, right, I mean, the general big mass market um, forecasting that you publish online, and this is what's going to happen to Sydney, Perth, you know, Melbourne house prices. Doesn't really interest me that much because you know it's aggregate sort of data. But if I was sort of the CEO, I'd want to say, okay, well, where do we think we're going to see bigger price falls, right? Um, And what pockets are going to get affected more than other pockets? And how many mortgages have we got in there, you know? And um, what are we overweight in that sector, or we got very little exposure to high-density apartments in this pocket, for example? So, you know, behind the scenes, is there sort of I guess little projects that you work on? for the bank, I guess, in terms of helping them understand, you know, debt stress risk, Where would if interest rates go to 6%, where are we likely to see, you know, a high percentage of borrowers unable to meet repayments? Like, is there sort of any insights you can share with us that what the bank does behind the scenes and where you, I guess, feel like there's, I guess, more exposure for you as a bank?
2: Mm-hmm. Look, from where I sit in the economics area, we really are more interested in the macroeconomic effects of house prices and and how that flows through. So, you know, we'll be looking more at how it affects consumer spending yeah. the fall in the house price, that sort of thing. Or, you know, just going back to our forecast, you know, what what's driving that forecast? Is it You know, is it because borrowing capacity is going to be reduced or is it because we think there's lots of forced sales, something like that? We'd be thinking at it from that perspective. In terms of that minutiae, and going down and looking at um, you know you know specific geographic areas and looking at what prices have done there and perhaps what incomes have done and and which areas are more um, perhaps struggling more with income that that sort of thing we don't really look at that although there would be parts of the bank that that do look at that and especially in terms of valuations um, you would yeah. probably remember. Uh, You know, a few years back when we had a lot of apartments coming on um, in Melbourne, in the Docklands Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and in in other areas in Sydney as well. And there were lots of concerns about oversupply in Brisbane as well. And I know that lots of the banks reported that they had um, specifically... Um, had postcode areas where there was a, an overlay of, um, uh, you know, risk aversion on those specific postcode areas. So that, that banks do employ that sort of thing, but that's not the way that we in the economics area like look at things. Although one of the things though, that you, you said it is important because While we we think about this from an aggregate perspective and how it flows through to consumer spending and dwelling investment in that sort of big picture sense, oftentimes it's not the average borrower that's important. It's that marginal borrower. Mm. And that's something that we really do have to think about when we're we're formulating our forecast, because while most people might be okay, if there is a small percentage that uh, small but important percentage that is going to struggle and perhaps sort of generate some weakness in the housing market where there is an increase in forced sales that then might have some sort of domino effect, then that could be quite important to focus on. We don't think that's the case in this current cycle, but but it is important that you think about what that, that more marginal borrower might be facing.
0: In your 20 years' In this marketplace have you ever seen that risk the marginal potentially you know creating a snowball
2: well there you know when we look back to what happened in the us for the global financial mm. crisis that's really sort of a a, a pretty uh, you know one sort of example of that sort of thing in australia you know we've had such an amazing run with you know uh, prior to COVID, you know, 25 years or plus of no recession. Mm. And really, when you look at our house price cycles, we, um, I mean, it's not correct to say house prices never fall, Mm. but the declines have been really quite shallow. And um, they haven't generated any sort of significant increase in, in arrears, really, or in for sales. I mean, in Australia, in the sort of mortgage market that we have, this full recourse mortgage market, you know, people do tend to uh, hang on to their homes. It's the very last thing that they give up. They'd rather have Vegemite sandwiches for dinner and pull their kids out of private school than not um, pay their mortgage. So what we tend to see in Australia is an extended period of, you know, slowly falling house prices or flat house prices after a big boom rather than a big mm. flash, And that that is part of our the framework of our, our mortgage system here um, really helps to cushion in a way the blow.
1: I'm I really- think that's a really big point, yeah. to be honest, because um, a lot of sort of level one thinking, I would call it, with people who um, are looking at the property market. And a lot of people want the property market to come down so it's more affordable so they can buy. And that that in itself is... Um, one are the things that protects the market? because as prices fall, more people want to buy right um mm-hmm. and want to upgrade or enter the market. But a lot of people think, oh, okay, all of a sudden, interest rates are going up, which they've gone up really only in the last three months, right? They've been at two percent, now they're at three percent, right? Um, or maybe up to four percent. um but the debt stress, even if you are you know you don't you know that that additional payment um is forcing you to be a bit tighter with your money. You don't all of a sudden go and put your property on the market, right? It takes many months and sometimes years for you to really, before you start to use all your buffers or you, once you speak to the bank, et cetera. So um, is that what you think, You know, even though rates are likely to go up, we're very unlikely to see any real um, significant debt stress because people will make cutbacks to their spending um, and we're unlikely to see any real massive um, forced sales across the country.
2: Yeah, look, that is that is definitely our view. I mean, prices, the reason prices will fall is because there's reduced borrowing capacity. Yep. I mean, we expect the cash rate to go to 3.35% by the end of this year. The RBA is um, sort of factoring into its assumptions a rise of 3 percentage points. Um, and, and if you look, that sort of increase in the cash rate reduces borrowing capacity by between 25 and 30%. It's quite significant massive. Um, for the same sort of repayment. Um, and so so that is the main reason why we expect um, prices to fall. Um, the It is, you know, that people have these very large buffers. We know that. We know that there's been this massive buildup in savings, um, some in offset accounts, some just in, in normal deposits, $260 billion through the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, all through the period of falling interest rates from sort of 2010 onwards, people actually were um, increasing their liquidity buffers, essentially putting money in the bank. And when you look back, um, it seems as though it was really sort of a bit of a making hay while the sun shines, mm. and people realised mm. that this period of low rates could be temporary. Um, So we know that that people have these buffers. We actually know that even that across income distributions there've been improvements in people's buffers. Um, When we look at debt distribution, we know that people with more debt have increased their buffers more. Um, Hmm. So all of these things will really help to keep um, households in a good position as interest rates rise. I mean, another another thing that, that really influences arrears is when people get into negative equity. But because we've had this big run-up in prices, um, not everyone has got in at the top, obviously. And mm. because also the banks actually, even though there has been an increase in in high DTI, uh, debt-to-income lending, um, yep. there has actually been a reduction in lending with high loan-to-valuation ratios. Yep. And so what that means is that actually very few um, people are in e- negative equity now. The RBS estimates is 0.1% of loans are in negative equity. If house prices fall 10%, they think that that might go to 0.4% of people. And if house prices fall twenty percent, they think that that might rise by as much as two and a half percent. Now that's is still, you know, not immaterial. But in two thousand and nineteen, negative equity peaked at about three and a quarter. So it's still lower than two thousand and nineteen. So that really means that that people are really coming into this period of higher interest rates. In a very solid position. It doesn't mean that consumers, people, can keep spending the way they have been. That they will have to spend less, um, and spending will slow. But that is the intended impact of higher interest rates.
0: I got two questions from that, and, and one is, I guess, because um, our spending isn't necessarily discretionary. I mean, obviously, you know, the well-publicised iceberg lettuce at ten dollars. I mean, I (laughs) I bought capsicum the other day, $16 a kilo, for God's sake, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's really obvious. At first, when people were talking about rising food prices, I was like, well, I can't even really see it, but but I Mm -hmm. certainly can now. It's very, very plain. Um. So a lot of this sort of inflationary pressure isn't necessarily in our control as consumers, whereas mm-hmm. previously I, you know, maybe could argue the more of it was, and yet we, you know, obviously raising interest rates or increasing interest rates is, is designed to sort of put downward pressure on um, inflation. So how will this be impacted? How will I guess inflation be impacted with this round of rate rate hikes, as compared to previous ones?
2: Okay, so. So, just a couple of things picking up on on some of the things you said. Or even inflation itself is going to have a, a downward um, place downward pressure on spending. Um, and going to your point about uh, discretionary and non discretionary, what we've seen is um, prices for non discretionary items rise at a faster rate, and so that means there's less money uh, to spend on those discretionary items. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, people are still really continuing to spend at a pretty solid rate. So, you know, as you know, the banks collect data on what people spend and what mm. businesses, what's coming through on On the terminals. And you know, when we look at that data, which you know, we've got it right up now until early August, you can see that people are actually still spending at a pretty solid Mm. clip. And they are still spending on discretionary items, they're still spending on big ticket items. So there doesn't seem to be any impact as yet. And when we look at New Zealand, obviously we have a, a fairly big operation there now they have seen interest rate hikes since october last year and again they're not seeing any we're not seeing in our spending data any real slowdown in spending data there even mm. though they've got had much higher interest rates so so that is sort of interesting yeah. i think to to see but but the way that that interest rates you know that they have a few channels that they work through um the main one is this cash flow channel and that just means that people have to divert more of their uh their income to uh mortgage repayments so so they have less to spend money on discretionary items the other way it works is through uh the wealth effect that People won't won't feel as well off because Mm. they they won't feel that their home is worth so much. They'll see a home sell around the corner and think, oh, I thought that would have been worth more than that. And then they readjust their own expectations um, of what they're they're worth. And that flows through to consumer spending as well. And then we start to see that impacting on things like um, building approvals and how much people spend on um, building a new home or buying an apartment or doing renovations you know you, you're much less likely to spend a truckload on a big renovation yeah. if you think your home's not worth as much so it flows through in 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 all sorts of different ways the difference about this cycle is that we've never had it we haven't had inflation this high since the early 1990s mm-hmm. putting aside the period of the GSC, We just haven't had this problem for 30 years. And so it is a bit different. And that, I think, means that it creates a lot more uncertainty around forecasts. It creates more uncertainty for the RBA in calibrating uh, its policy and working out look, at what point do we stop doing 50 basis points and we move to 25? And at what point do we stop hiking? And and it does create the environment where there is a possibility that they make a a policy error and they might might not tighten enough and they might find that inflation keeps getting away from, from them and then they have to tighten very hard or they might come down too hard and then we find the economy goes into recession. So it is um, it is a, a very, as Phil Lowe called it, a very narrow path uh, through here where they, they tighten at just the right pace um, to keep the economy on relatively solid ground but get inflation under control.
0: Yeah, the, you talk about consumer confidence or spending, which you haven't said confidence, but I'm, it's sort of part and parcel, isn't it? Because... Um, what we've seen certainly anecdotally around the property market and certainly you can see that in terms of the price growth slowing and then and moving into into price falls in some areas um is that the consumer confidence in the in the property market has certainly taken a hit and you can see that also in listings numbers, you know there's obviously a a, a lot less property coming onto the market. And mm. yet, what you're saying is that that haven't actually um it hasn't manifested in in discretionary spending. It's not like we're lacking confidence in that area. and mm. is is that it's, is that a dichotomy that hasn't really mm. shown up before? It sounds unusual. Yeah. It is
2: really unusual. That's exactly right. So, so I mean, you're right in terms of confidence in the property market. When we look at some of the indicators that come out of um, the Melbourne Institute in terms of um, consumers' expectations around house prices – or their idea of when is a good time to buy, they are really quite low. They've come back a long yeah. way. Mm. Um, and so that that confidence in the property market is low. But generally speaking, consumer confidence is very low. It's at recession levels. Um, you know, today in the ANZ Roy Morgan release um, that showed weekly consumer confidence fell four and a half percent or so it's down to the levels that it was in April 2020 in when the worst of the pandemic um, was hitting and there was so much uncertainty and generally it's at recession levels this is something actually that we're seeing around the world um that confidence is very very low at the moment and this is uh you know uh, impacted by a couple of things firstly um, by inflation being so high and that, you know, especially petrol prices, you know, you get a lot of sticker shock from petrol prices um, because people, you know, they they see the numbers up there, they fill up their tank once a week and it's very apparent um, how much extra is coming, going into petrol prices. So that was really, and food prices mm. as well that we've seen um, because of uh, some global issues, but of a lot of local issues, including you know around lettuces and the mm. floods, and that that has really um, flowed through to consumer confidence. And now, now that we've got interest rate hikes coming through, and quite significant, the prospect of quite significant interest rate hikes that is really starting to impact consumer confidence as well. And we can see uh, a split of um, consumers on whether they have a mortgage or whether they rent and uh, consumer confidence for people who have a mortgage is, has fallen very sharply um, since, um, April when it became apparent that the RBA would have to start hiking. Mm. Um, we've seen that, that fall somewhere, uh, you know, was sort of around 30%. Yep. Um, whereas for renters, it's only down quite modestly. Hmm. So that, that you, we're definitely seeing, seeing that with confidence. But as I said before, spending has actually yeah. been quite solid and, we will get the full consumer spending numbers for the June quarter in uh, you know three or four weeks, um, but it looks like at this stage it will actually be quite solid for the quarter. And as I said, our um, our ANZ data show that it's still um staying quite high even currently. And this this really large divergence is incredibly unusual, mm. and again it creates that uncertainty. Well well, what will happen? Will confidence recover as people realise that they can manage these higher repayments or will actually we just see spending, um, uh, you know, come down quite quickly uh, to be more consistent with consumer confidence?
1: Ben, to is that why you think that they're going to have to go, you know, a lot of other people aren't forecasting rates to go as high as you guys? I mean, in terms of 335 by the end of this um you know by christmas really which is basically another you know, three september october november so 50 50 50 basis points um i mean which is a pretty big tightening right to go from 0.1 to three plus within you know basically six months is massive um mm-hmm. you know and do you think this because consumers aren't cutting back their spending i think that's really interesting you know in new zealand they haven't done it i mean it's, it's quite soon here we're only talking three months since mm-hmm. the first rate hike um you know or four months i guess you'd call it now but um yeah is that why you think also that mean there's so many loans at fixed rates um you know Mm -hmm. that's you know that's not impacting them you know yeah their variable portion but that's for a lot of people who fixed the last few years they've been fixing 80 you know 80 plus percent of their loans so what's some of your reasons why you think they're going to go so hard because that's that's pretty big compared to other expectations
0: theelephantintheroom.com.au.
2: Look, it is really steep. Um, in It will be the steepest um, increase in interest rates that we've seen, certainly in the um, inflation targeting period of the last 30 years. Uh, and we are one of the more aggressive banks, although the market is expecting um, interest rates to go a little higher, about 3.5% by early next year. So we're not quite as aggressive as the market. And you'd remember that the market actually had above four there (laughs) for a little while and it's brought those expectations back. Um, So it is an aggressive rate profile and there is certainly the risk that they take a little bit longer to get there than we currently expect. But when we look at those, the inflation numbers that we had um, a, a couple of weeks back, you know, headline inflation at 6.1 percent, um, underlying inflation, trimmed mean that the RBA focuses on at 4.9 percent. They're the highest rates that we've had for 30 years. So the RBA has a really big job to get on top of it. Now, lots of the drivers of inflation have been uh, global, but the, actually, there is a lot of domestic pressure now. You can see it in the how board based. Um, those inflationary pressures are. So around 80% of the the CPI basket is rising at um, faster than two and a half percent, the middle of the RBA's target. Um, And you can see it in the tightness of the labor market. You've got the labor market, um, unemployment at 3.5%. You've got around half a million job vacancies that really suggest that unemployment is going to get uh, quite a bit lower. We think it will get to sort of 2.9% by early next year. So that really tight labour market and more generally the uh, capacity constraints in the economy is likely to continue to generate pretty solid inflation. We might be past the peak in quarterly inflation, but it's still going to stay quite strong because of these this very strong demand, very strong labor yep. market. And so that means that the RBA has quite a bit of a job ahead to get on top of that, to make sure those inflation uh expectations aren't don't become really ingrained. Uh and we do start hmm. to see some sort of uh inflation, wage inflation
1: spiral. Yeah, I mean that's what I was gonna ask about. Is, I mean, do you think that's really the main reason why it's so important that we get inflation down you know because if we are expecting inflation to stay at five percent per year then as a worker why wouldn't you ask for at least a five percent pay rise and (laughs) um and then you have to put prices up because you're going to to pay more wages do you think that's the real risk the tight line that we're playing right now if we keep inflation high for too long um we we really get ourselves in this catch-22
2: yeah, that's exactly right. That that is the concern, and I mean, it's perfectly reasonable for workers to feel like they want compensation yeah. for higher inflation. And and really, you know, we've had a long period of um, you know, low or or negative real wage growth. I think it's it's reasonable for for workers to for sure. expect mm. that but we it, it does raise the risk uh that, that if we continue to get this compensation year after year of um the high inflation that uh that we will get get this wage price spiral but also it's probably not just about um compensation uh for that risk It's a lot of the wage gains that we're seeing are for people who are on sort of contracts, um, they're not really not so much minimum wage earners. Although yeah. obviously this year they did get a solid rise. They're not people on EBAs. They're they're people on contracts, and they're getting quite large wage rises. And that's and that's that's what's captured in the wage price index. But probably they're even larger for people who are moving jobs mm. or people getting promoted. That's not even captured in that that particular wage measure. And that that's probably where because the labor market is so tight.
1: I mean, do you think around housing affordability, a lot of people um, would think houses are getting cheaper, but are they really getting cheaper if you your servicing costs are going up a lot more, right? So if you're paying 30% more each month for the next 30 years mm-hmm. and that's not the way it works. But if your mortgage repayment is higher and but that's greater than you know, the saving on paying for a lower price. I mean, housing getting more expensive right now, do you think, rather than cheaper?
2: Yeah, no, this is a really great question, Chris. (laughs) And this is something that is, you know, we do think about um, and... You know, and the answer is sort of, you know, it depends, a typical economist (laughs) answer, Um, but pretty much it's not really getting cheaper. You know, we had a look at this um, with our our housing affordability report that we do with CoreLogic and we had a look at how much the, the increase in repayments would be because of interest rates and how far house prices would have to fall to offset that. Now, at the time we did that, I think we factored in two hundred basis points of interest rate hikes, so less than what we've got at the moment. Mm-hmm. And we really found that house prices would have to fall more than thirty percent to compensate for that. Yeah. so so it doesn't make it affordable in that in that mortgage serv- servicing sense. But we do know though, for first home buyers, the the mortgage servicing hurdle is not as great as the deposit hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really the thing that stops first home buyers getting into the market, and lower house prices will impact that um, that deposit yep. hurdle. So, so for some, um, you know, they they can get in, as you say, or as you sort of implied, those those higher rates are not going, necessarily going to stay forever. So mortgage servicing might be difficult initially, um, but they will have that that slightly lower or, or you know, materially lower in dollars terms um, deposit that's required if we do see house prices come off, you know, 15% or so.
1: Yeah, the deposit hurdle is a funny one. A lot of people use 20%. Why do you think it's 20% I mean, really you could get into the housing market with a small deposit. That may 15%, I think, is a better number, 10% for deposit, 5% for stamp duty. I mean, a lot of banks go for that 20% deposit. I mean, why do you think that is?
2: I think, well, you know, now we have um, uh, the uh, government scheme where you can get in with 5%. But I think, you know, traditionally, um, if you had less than 20%, you had to pay mortgage insurance, and that just increased the cost. So oftentimes, when we're looking at at things like um, deposit affordability, we do base it on that 20%. um, But... You're right, most people that do enter the market they don't have that 20%. It's considerably less than that. But it still is quite a significant hurdle for, for first-time buyers. And when you look at, like, a, the Sydney market, for example, um, and median prices here, you know, it, it's a lot. For, you know, I think on the latest affordability, saving up for a home in Sydney, uh, on average, if you save 15% of your income each year, it's going to take, I think it was somewhere more than 12 years. So it's just sort of, like you know, outrageous, really. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's um, something that government, say so government's looking to change with stamp duty moving to land tax, um, which we might find out, you know, in the next few months, whether that gets legislated. I mean, things like that. How do you, as an economist, you know, because you can't forecast that, right? You, you know, they've talked about that for a couple of years, but this is a once in generation change. Um, you could see APRA come out. Uh, I know in the Bank of England just overnight, they basically reduced the buffer for mortgages over there massively. They went from a 3% servicing buffer to a 1% servicing buffer, um, which is something that APRA could do here. I mean, why do we need a 3% buffer if rates have just gone up 3%? Um, they're Um, unlikely to go up 6%, right? Um, How do you sort of... You know, and it's so tempting for the government to you know, try to fiddle with things um, because of all the impacts on the wealth effect and um, you know, household balance sheets and how healthy, uh, you know, financially healthy we are going to retirement, et cetera. So what's yeah. your thoughts around these um, other you know, factors that it's just so hard to put into your model, um, which are bound to happen as prices change, whether it's tightening or loosening, it's, it's bound to happen?
2: Yeah, no, this is, again, you know, really great question, and it is very difficult to quantify the impact of those regulatory changes. I mean, you'd remember in that period between 2017 and 2019, where house prices fell quite substantially, Mm. and that was really all about, um, you know, some official uh, regulatory changes that APRA uh, introduced, but also about just a general change in appetite for risk around lending post the, the uh, Royal Commission into yep. banking. And, you know, so those things are incredibly different, difficult to quantify. Um, but to your point around the buffer, I think there is uh, a, a quite a strong possibility that at some point APRA will reduce that that 3% buffer. I mean, it doesn't really uh, make sense at um a cash rate of 3.35 and mortgage rates you know at 6 or above um to have a 3% buffer and also it will will um unnecess- unnecessarily slow the housing market so i think you know that that they'll have to come to that decision at some point to lower that buffer and perhaps put some systems in place to have you know make sure it is countercyclical and that they're not uh, it's not overly um, constraining yep. on the housing market, but but that that sort of thing will make a difference because, as I said before, it's borrowing capacity that's going to be the biggest influence, and that that if they change that serviceability buffer, then it changes the borrowing capacity.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what we're sort of seeing with borrowing capacity, I absolutely, borrowing capacity has fallen um, you know, 15 20% for, for lots of people. You could probably borrow six and a half, up, even up to seven times for a lot of clients. Now we're talking five to five and a half times income, which is huge. I mean, but that's um, assuming no wage increase. Um, it's assuming that, you know, APRA don't come, and if you get a 10%, increase in your salary, you know, as a, you know, then you're a 10% increase in your borrowing capacity. Think about it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we could see uh, APRA reduce um, the serviceability buffer, which could increase borrowing capacity. Um, and, you know, there's even talk that rates could come back down, et cetera. So what's your thoughts on, you know, there's there's one line of thought that the RBA is going to over-tighten to get inflation under control, which is going to slow down world economies. Um, then we're going to see a lot of people jump off fixed rates um, and a big cut back to spending, et cetera. Uh, and then there's pressure to reduce rates. Do you think that that's the most likely scenario over the next few years is that they get over-tightened around the world, then they get loosened um, to stimulate economies hosts a slowdown?
2: Mm. You know, this is, this is you know, a part of the, the forecasting process and certainly... Uh, In the US, where inflation is higher than it is here, um, but we are catching up quite quickly, um, you know, they have said that, you know, they might really have to engineer a hard landing, essentially a recession to get inflation under control. And that would mean, you know, ramping up the, the Fed funds rate there, Uh, you know, more quickly and more steeply, knowing that it will only be very high for a short time and then they'll cut. And that's certainly a possibility there. Um, here I think that, um, we inflation is not as well entrenched here. We don't yet. Have the wages pressure that is apparent in some of those other economies like New Zealand and the the US and the UK, um, although it it does feel like it's coming. Um, so our view is that that they will be able to sort of navigate a soft landing, um, and also. You know, we think that inflationary pressures will be quite sustained and what we call sticky. It'll take a little while for them to fade materially. You know, some of the things like um, petrol prices, they're already coming off. Um, The oil price might go back up a little bit more from where it is now. And we've got the excise, uh, you know, jumping Mm. up 22 cents later on in the year. Um, but it's unlikely that the oil price will get back to $125 where it was. So some of these things are coming out. But then at the same time, we know that wages pressures are increasing. So we think that inflation will be relatively slow to, um, to fade enough for the Reserve Bank to cut rates, but three thirty-five in our view is restrictive, and so eventually they will they will cut mm. rates, and and we but we think it will take sort of till the middle of twenty twenty-four um, before they start doing that because before then uh, inflation is likely to be uh, too high for them to feel confident um, to reduce rates.
0: So it's been over 30 years since we had a real recession. You don't really count 2020. Um, who, who's the most vulnerable? You know, like are, are property owners really in the most vulnerable cohort of a recession or is it people that don't own property?
2: Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, we know that that renters um are, are actually doing it pretty tough at the moment. Um, you know, advertised rents are up nearly 10% mm. over the past year. Um, and you know, there's not a lot of rental stock, so rentals are, are really tough, and we know that particularly older people who rent are incredibly vulnerable yep. um to uh the risk of poverty and homelessness so those people definitely are vulnerable i think you know when you're thinking about a recession the the thing that really impacts Um, people's lives are the loss of a job. Mm. And whether you own your own home or you rent your home, losing your job um, has um, massive um, impacts, obviously, on your income and livelihood and not just temporarily. Often those impacts, um, you know, can affect the rest of your working life. So Mm. if you're a young person, that impact, we can see it in studies, it will impact your income throughout your life. And so, so it's really the people who lose their jobs. I don't think that there's um, uh, when you look across um, housing status, whether you rent or own your home, own home or, or have a mortgage. Um, it, it, it's it, it's you know you can really differentiate. But if you hang on to your job, um, then then that's the thing I think that that really counts in a recession, and that's why. That's why central banks always try to avoid recessions because the 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 long run impacts of of unemployment are, are massive on an economy scale, but also on a human scale.
1: I mean, looking back at the last few years, and um, I mean, all the stimulus that was pounded into the market in 2020. Do you think that the the central banks and the governments around the world overstimulated things and put too much wood on the fire? I guess, <laughs> and that's why we're in the situation we're in. Um, you know, they all kind of drank the Kool Aid, and um, you know, thought the world was going to end, and and put too much on there.
2: Look, um, you know, the short answer to that is yes. Uh, you know, we we saw um, massive um, interest rate cuts. We saw extraordinarily extraordinary policy like um, the yield curve control and quantitative easing, and the term funding facility. Mm. Um, and we saw also the government around the world and government in Australia step in to support household incomes while people couldn't go to work. And yep. the combinational of all that has created this, um, you know, a, a situation of excess demand. However, you know, if we, when we roll back to where we were in April twenty twenty and the uncertainty and the, as I was just saying before, the the, the costs of very high in unemployment, I think that policymakers, you know, did what they thought mm. they should. And when we look back, you know, you know, it's like taking out insurance. And sure, when you take out insurance, and you don't need to claim on it, you go, mm, yeah, maybe I didn't need it. But, <laughs> you know, you, you take that insurance, I think. And and I think so I, I think that, that with hindsight we can see it was too much but at the time i think it's really hard to be super critical of mm. either the reserve bank or the government because you know they were they were insuring against a really terrible um a possible terrible outcome and so Uh, you know I I think in the end you know you've got unemployment at the moment at three and a half percent it's yes it's generating some inflation pressures but you know nearly everyone who wants a job has got a job and and that is a good thing.
1: And do you think that um, once for example you're expecting house prices to fall you know some percent over the next you know year or two um, I mean when do you think that the governments and the banks will be worried that you know, there is a systemic risk, or do you? And do you think that we are going to see things like Apra cut the rate? You know, what other stimulus measures do you think are going to they're going to do to try to support um, prices to stabilise and then increase? I guess.
2: Mm. Well, I, so they do. You know, the RBA is not, and Apra, the the regulator, is not going to be too worried if if houses house prices sort of fall in a relatively orderly fashion. <laughs> You know they will. You know that that is part of the way that monetary policy works. So, APRA is unlikely to come out and cut the 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 buffer in the next couple of months because that would be working against what the RBA is trying to do. Um, so, um, I think that that you know they will be watching the real um, economic indicators, things like household spending, to see how that the, the wealth effect is impacting that and also that cash flow impact. So I think that that if we see this sort of relatively gradual decline in house prices, it's the sort of thing that we're seeing in New Zealand where they are ahead um, on the interest rate cycle. I think that, that policymakers will be, um, you know, quite happy to see that, you know, really because that's the way policy works. I think when it becomes problematic, is if you started to see perhaps a, a significant increase in arrears or a significant signs of distress in the mortgage market and when then it might become sort of a financial stability issue um, or you start to see it really impacting consumer spending. And that's when I, I think the, the Reserve Bank might think about stopping the cutting, stopping, sorry, hiking um, and or... Uh, yeah, and that, that so that's how that would play out. In terms of the buffer, I think that's probably something for next year. Um yep. once the RBA gets policy to where they think it is, um, and then perhaps next year sometime APRA might start to cut the buffer, but it's too early now because it would be, you know, uh, as I say, working in the opposite direction to the RBA's intentions.
0: I guess um by explaining all this for us and really appreciate this uh it's saying for it's spelling it out for me you know i guess again why it's so difficult to forecast because you've got all these other um regulatory forces that can play around with the market to keep it in in one direction or another so it's it's obviously a big part of our entire economy and the property market is so important for that but it's funny you mentioned earlier about you know over the past few decades when we've had downturns they've been relatively shallow but I do remember the 2017 to 2019 mm-hmm. decline that was quite steep and you know Ooh. there were lots of this sort of catching a falling knife is one of the yep. uh, analogies that was used quite often and I guess we look look to this one and see you know well how will this one play out but and, and my I guess my favorite thing to say at the moment is that, they're never bottomless. They'll bottom at some point and then they'll go off again. It'll be another part of the cycle. But what's sort of interesting as well is that in particularly 2017 to 19, well, that was, like you said, it was the after the Royal Commission and APRA obviously saw the need to really curtail um, the market because it was obviously over-exuberance among investors' participation in the property market. And those two things coincided to... To effectively mean that nobody was going to change the levers around, no one was going to play with it in a way that would actually make that that downturn a bit more, a bit less steep, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, is would you say that? Um, a you might disagree with my, uh, I guess, my assessment of that, but would you say mm-hmm. that in the current environment, it, there's probably more of a capacity or more a willingness to actually keep it being shallow rather than being as as sort of steep and seemingly. Um, precarious last time around
2: yeah i I think that 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 at in that period then 2017 2019 i mean that's a period you know that when we look back it you know apra there was apra the and the royal commission that impacted housing lending but also there's a you know, certainly a relatively strong view that interest rates were kept too high through that period. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is part of the RBA review that's coming up, um, and they will look at that. I mean, the Reserve Bank was missing its inflation target through all that period, um, so effectively unemployment was higher than it could have been. Um, so, so there were, I think, a, a number of factors through that period. That actually, in retrospect, um, perhaps could have been different. And I think, too, there was um, perhaps not a full appreciation of the indirect impact that the Banking Royal Commission had on lending appetite at the banks. Mm. Um, I think this time around, though, it's a bit different. I don't think, I think the RBA um, wants you know, one it needs to see uh activity slowing and part of that process is lower house prices. Mm. The RBA is not going to be concerned by what we've seen so far in house prices, and it's it's going to be expecting house prices uh, to fall quite considerably. As I said before, it's its modeling would suggest that house prices will fall Mm. around, you know, 25% given... on a 300 um, basis point increase in the cash rate, and so it, it will be factoring that into its forecasts um, and thinking about how that's going to impact consumer spending and dwelling investment and financial stability. But but it, it will certainly be expecting house prices to fall. So I don't um, subscribe to the view that the RBA will feel like it needs to step in to stop house prices falling mm-hmm. because, you know, the banks are in really good shape, households are in really good shape, arrears mm-hmm. are very, very low. So there isn't sort of a, a, a financial stability issue. And, and I think that that people will keep spending because they're generally balance, household balance sheets and buffers um, are in really good shape. So I, I can't see them, them stepping in to stop things. Uh, just yet I think they've got a little while to go but just going back to the issue around fixed rates that does create a bit more uncertainty because there are these people at the Mm. moment who are um, sort of insulated some of those people will be um, you know quickly putting a bit more money away and thinking about where they can cut spending but there's probably a proportion of people that perhaps aren't as financially sophisticated that will get a shock Mm. um sometime in the next 18 months or so when when they have to um roll on to much higher repayments and that is that is that will be a tricky period yeah i
1: mean i think what's (laughs) happening with um interest rates are very much uh tied to your mortgage repayment but your mortgage repayment isn't just interest rates it's you know how much do you actually owe right and Mm. can you extend your loan term and can you get yourself a better rate like a better margin a lower Um, margin you know you could interest rates could go up but you could go to a different bank and save yourself 50 basis points Mm and um, what we're seeing and you can already see it through you know digital channels um, you know when you're driving around bank advertising etc there's a full-on pricing wall between all the banks to um, not lose their customers you know to other banks Um, and you know as people come off their fixed rates it's really a time for them to go you know what Um, maybe we should review our mortgage. And um, there's even things where, you know, potentially in the next 6 to 12 months, you'll be able to refinance without any servicing um, checks. You know, um, the banks are basically saying, well, if you can pay your mortgage off and you haven't been missing repayments and that repayment is higher than what this new repayment is going to be, we don't need to verify income and things like that. So, um, there's this I think that's what something uh, is often is forgotten about with rising interest rates. If you just go and extend your loan term ten years, um, and get yourself a better deal, that offsets the impact of a higher interest rate dramatically. Um, and that's exactly what people are doing right now. So making it even harder for the RBA and and slowing down spending even less um, because people are um, saving money that way. So, firstly, on a lot, on a lighter um, note, have you got a property Dumbo for us? A story that um our listeners can um learn from
2: uh sure now yeah uh so i do have one um it's quite funny actually and i'm complicit in it so it's not like i can tell some story about someone else doing something stupid <laughs> these so are the this best was, ones <laughs> <laughs> so this was um but it's actually yeah, sort of a good story so um a uh, friend of mine uh, was um, selling the family home and sort of downsizing into an apartment. Um, this is sort of 10 years or so ago. And she uh, found this apartment on sort of the lower North Shore. And, you know, she said, come and have a look at it with me. And we looked at it. And, you know, she was really focused on her requirements. You know, she wanted a fair bit of space. She had two teenage kids and she wanted large rooms. She wanted it to be light. And so we looked at all these things. It was just, lovely um apartment that you know it it faced south but but it was was very light it was an art deco apartment it was lovely ticked all the boxes and and so you know I said you yeah, know this is great she really liked it so she went for it she got it and then the day she moved in she sent me a photo and she said look at this she had these magnificent views of the harbor that we literally did not notice <laughs> I know it's unbelievable. I wouldn't believe it if it was anyone else, but I was there. I was part of this story. We did not <laughs> notice the harbour views.
1: <laughs> wow,
0: that's hilarious.
1: <laughs> I guess that's a great result. That's not a dumb. I mean, I guess it's a dumber. You didn't. Know. You probably paid for the views. Could um, have
0: Could have been, could yes, have been the awesome. other way around. Could have been something horrible that he didn't that's notice. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it just really goes to show.
2: You know, you, you got to be. Uh, focused on everything and not just on your, you know, with too your much needs. of a ticker box and not <laughs> the big picture.
1: Oh, it's so funny. We um we just upgraded, and um we, yesterday we went just to suss out actually how to put a cat pen at this new house, um, and uh, where our furniture is going to go and what we need to get rid of, etc. Um, and it's completely different experience. Um, and you're looking at different things, and it feels completely different to when before you purchased it, right? Um, and You know, and and both positives and negatives. You're noticing parts of the house that you didn't notice. Um, You look in areas you you look at it differently when it's yours versus um, more Mm. critical, I guess. To be honest, Uh, when you're you know looking to buy, you probably sometimes you know you just want it to make it happen, right? And you're looking at through rose-colored glasses, and so um, that's why. I mean, uh, Veronica, you'd recommend someone to see at least more than once if you can, Um, if not, and at different times of the day, etc. Because it's so easy to miss things when you it's just, you're emotional, you um, and you're sort of, and sometimes people are going through open homes in 10 minutes and making offers. It's like, um, and you know, not even looking over the back fence, et cetera. So uh, I completely understand why you guys didn't see the view, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the view is still there and nothing's been built out in front of it, but, uh, yeah. Still there, yeah.
2: still there, and she's still there for 10 years later. Yeah. That's a nice. <laughs> and hopefully she's story. not doing
1: the um, <laughs> the opportunity cost of maybe the house on the lower north shore versus the apartment and um, where, where she could have been if she just stayed in the house.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, I reckon yeah.
0: An, apart- an art deco apartment yeah. with, a, a with a view. Bed. I think she's done yeah. all right, yeah. I think she's probably done all
1: right, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. Doesn't Do have much
1: of a downsize anyway. <laughs>
0: We've really appreciated your time and uh, and taking us through all this stuff. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Hopefully, we can get you back at some future time. And, uh, yeah, thank you. It's been, I, for ages, I really wanted to grab a bank economist and, and sort of get to the nitty-gritty of, of all the things that are considered. I'm sure we've only scratched the surface, but it's been a great chat. well
2: oh, no, thanks very much for having me. It's been great to chat to you guys yes. as well and hear your, you know, the way that you think about things. So thank you.
1: wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.